College Game Day is coming back to the West Coast, and it is coming at a great time for the Pac-12. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions, which is why, if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you are listening to or watching the show. Today's episode is brought to you by our newest sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network, Sweat Block. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweat Block. Save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. And game day will be live from Austin Stadium on Saturday in Eugene for a top 10 Pac 12 showdown. And what a great look that is. George Klyovkov has to be smiling. The bye week could not have played out any better for UCLA and Oregon. Very unusual for two teams at this level, or really at any level. I don't think it matters. I'm not sure that I can remember the last time I saw two teams go into a game where they're both coming off of a bye. Typically, you're talking about it in the context of who does that favor? Is that an advantage for this team because they're getting healthy? Or is it an advantage for this one because they've been playing poorly and they can get some things right? Is it a disadvantage because this team had been hot and now they're just cooling off for a couple weeks? Both teams are in that last category. Oregon has won five in a row, UCLA 6-0 and to start this season, their best start since 2006, I believe. It's either 05 or 06, but it has been a very long time since they've been at this spot and ranked in the top 10. But the reason I'm so excited, not just for this particular game, because I think it'll be a good football game, is that the Pac-12 for the last couple of years, as we all know, has taken some body blows and maybe a couple shots below the belt when it comes to their reputation and national respect amongst media members, fans, and the general college football community. And game day puts all the eyes, not just on the specific game, but a greater level of attention on the conference. Because what you'll see when game day is going through all their feature stories and everything they do for that glorious three hours every Saturday morning in the fall and what is my favorite program to watch every single year, they will go through all the ramifications this, that this game has, which are numerous as we've been talking about this week with regards to the Pac-12 championship structure. And you'll have conversations about, can this team make the playoff, right? Oregon, UCLA, and USC, all theoretically right now, could get to the playoff. Is it likely? No. Are you going to have those guys talking about it at some point during college game day this Saturday? Yeah, you will. Because USC is not out of the playoff picture. UCLA is undefeated. They win this week. They're 7-0 with wins against Utah and Oregon the latter of which would come on the road in Austin Stadium, of course they'd be a playoff contender. They're currently in the best spot to get in the playoff because they don't have a loss. And of the teams that are vying for that spot in in the college football playoff in the Pac-12, which right now are UCLA, Oregon, and USC, UCLA right now has the best win because they've beaten Utah. Oregon has been playing some really good football. They've won five in a row. They don't have a win that's even close 
to beating Utah by double digits. So UCLA is in a great position from that sense, and the Pac-12 will get a lot of coverage in that sense of, could one of these teams make the playoff? What does the championship structure look like? Utah could still win it. And anytime you're going on site for college game day, you're inherently going to talk about the games that will rile up the fans for better or worse as much as possible. When you're at Tennessee, Alabama, you're going to mention Georgia. You're going to mention Florida from time to time because the fans behind them will start going nuts in the opposite direction. So I think this comes at a really opportune moment for the Pac-12 where the conference is very competitive and it's pretty deep as well. I mean, you've got Oregon State and Washington in prime positions to be 6-2 and two going into next week. There is a realistic scenario where three weeks from now, because Oregon State and Washington have a bye in between their Friday night showdown in Seattle, which should be a great game, where you could have five ranked Pac-12 teams and you would be, let's see if they're six to seven right now, you'd be like eight or nine weeks into the season and you could have five ranked Pac-12 teams. That is totally realistic. And this could be a springboard for making people pay attention to the craziness that could ensue And I wonder how much college game day will talk about all the tiebreaker scenarios, which are wild and crazy and wild and crazy and such, because there are so many different ways that this could play out. Speaking of which, slight correction from yesterday, Carter and I did our best interpreting the rules, reading them and relaying the information we've got. One correction we got to make in a three-team tie with USC and Oregon, and this is a terrible rule from the Pac-12, by the way. They're in a good spot this weekend, but not a fan of this particular hypothetical, but this is the way it is. A three-team tie at 8-1 and one in conference play between USC, Oregon, and Utah would result in the Utes watching the Pac-12 title game on television rather than playing in it, even though they would have a head-to-head with USC and Oregon in this hypothetical, because... If you have three teams like that, but they haven't all three played, it goes to that wacky two-team tiebreaker model with opponents or the next highest-seeded common opponent in the conference, yada, yada, yada. Utah would, would get a little bit screwed there. So hopefully that's not the situation that comes to pass because if Utah beats USC and Oregon, has one loss, and gets left out of the conference championship game, Utes fans won't be happy, and they'd have a pretty legitimate case for that. But that aside, I am so stoked for this matchup. I think it will be a good game. I do think Oregon's got the edge here. And the reason is UCLA has played a lot of games at home this year, and they've looked very good. They looked good against Washington, who's a good team. They looked good against Utah, who's a really good team. And I know everyone might point to, well, what about South Alabama? Hard to get up for that caliber of opponent. The great teams will, but Utah or US, UCLA rather, I despise that those three schools all start with you because it throws me off way more than it should. Anyway, UCLA escaped that game. That is going to be probably a 10 win team in the Sun Belt, which have been pulling upsets left, right, and center as a conference this year. I'm not saying UCLA played great in that game, but I think it woke them up. They got out of it unscathed. They took care of Colorado, and they looked really good against Washington and Utah. But now they haven't just not played in a couple weeks by the time this game comes around on Saturday. 
But they're going to Watson Stadium, which is going to be, in all likelihood, a sellout, rambunctious crowd. And that's a rude awakening when you've had a couple weeks off of playing another team, right? And you've just been going up against yourselves in practice, and you've been playing a lot of games at home this year. This is by far the toughest road environment. I don't think it's the toughest team. I still like Utah more than Oregon at this point in the season, even though the Utes have you know, looked imperfect at times. I still think they're a very good football team, but I think the overall game, because this is on the road, will be UCLA's toughest test of the year. And that's a lot to ask for a team that has been rolling and having things going their way at home to suddenly be on the road where mistakes are always amplified. And UCLA has done well to avoid them this year, but how are they going to be if they're in a situation where they're trailing early on the road, that's not a spot they've been in so far. I think the likelihood they could get into situations that that make them uncomfortable and make them feel kind of out of sync, out of rhythm, make them press a little bit. I think they're they're abundant there. But do I think Oregon wins this game by a lot? No, I, I think the Ducks can get it done. But I, I really think that this will be a fun football game, at least for a little while. You know, a late mistake could always make it look not as close as it actually was. It feels like that sort of game. But, man, this should be a fun football game between two football teams that are coming off buys and have both been playing really, really well. If you haven't been playing well defending against sweat and odor, then you need to check out Sweatblock. I've had problems with this myself over the years. I'm not always a fan of wearing cotton shirts on a hot day because you just don't want that embarrassing sweat stain, right? Or you don't want to smell bad if you're going to be around other people. Sweatblock was created by a doctor to help with his own excessive sweating. It is doctor created and doctor recommended. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock. Seriously, save 20% with the promo code locked on. That's two words. Locked on is the promo code to save 20% at sweatblock.com. It's also available on Amazon. Let's get to the other teams that are not contending for the Pac-12 championship at this time. They're not technically out of it, mathematically. Now, realistically, are Washington and Oregon State going to win the Pac-12 championship this year? No. Did either expect to coming into this year? I don't think so. I certainly didn't think they would. But Washington has a chance to have a successful season with their first-year head coach. And Oregon State, coming into this year, as a program, they're looking for an 8-9 win season to build upon going into next year, right? It's been a slow build under Jonathan Smith, but that's exactly what you would expect down in Corvallis. And yesterday, we were and the day before, talking about all the crazy championship scenarios. I don't want these two teams to get swept under the rug. I also want to shout out Colorado. I mentioned this a little bit on Monday's show. It's worth mentioning again in case you missed it. That was an 0-5 football team. And this is just a word of, I won't say warning, because that implies a negative connotation when it's an unquestioned positive one. Words of wisdom for any potential coaching candidates who somehow see or listen to this show are cons- who are considering the Colorado job or may one day be candidates. That was an 0-5 football team. They were playing Cal that has no tradition of winning and is not that good of a team. And they had somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 people at Folsom Field. If you can take over that job and rebuild Colorado, you will have support. Because they sh- they are showing up right now more than anybody else would 
probably in the conference if you had a winless football team. And that's darn impressive, and they deserve props for that. Oregon State also deserves props for how they played against Washington State. One underrated component you can't overlook, but you so easily can, especially if you're not a fan of that specific team, is beating a team who historically has given you fits, especially for coaches been there for a while, it does a lot for a locker room. And remember that win against Stanford where Oregon State was down and out and then all of a sudden they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat and they parlayed that into a win against a team that they've been comparable to. And I have clumped together several times on this show over the last couple of months and they get that monkey off their back and they are able to beat the Cougars by 14 points, mind you, a game that I warned you to stay away. So if you bet on it, even though I was leaning Washington State, I didn't feel good about it at all. And that's why Oregon State at home, a really good football team. Big favorites against Colorado, by the way. 24, fascinating number. I do think Colorado could struggle to score a touchdown because Oregon State's defense against Power 5 opponents this year, in the Pac-12, they're allowing the fewest yards per game. That is a defensively oriented team. Speaking of ties between Oregon State and Washington State, let me smooth that into my next point here. Earlier this year on the show, I talked about how Washington State has arrived as a program in that they're not someone you gloss over on the schedule anymore. They're capable of being a legitimate team who can lose to anybody for sure, but can also beat anybody. Them and I feel like Oregon State as well, kind of the Purdue of this conference, right? Or the... Uh, Texas A&M, shall we say, minus the big time recruiting. You can beat anybody. Texas A&M has beaten Alabama. You can lose to anybody. They lost to Appalachian State. So Washington State for years with Mike Leach, when they grew to being a relevant program and got to number eight in the college football playoff rankings one year, 10 and one before losing to Washington, won an Alamo Bowl, 11 games. Everyone thought of them as an offensively oriented team because it was the air raid. They're throwing the football, slinging it around, scoring a bunch of points. But with Jake Dickert, this is a relevant competitive team. Their offense is not where it needs to be, but that's not the identity of this team. And Oregon State is kind of in that similar mold right now. And it's Harder for some, perhaps, to get their minds around, to wrap around the concept of Oregon State as a defensively-led team, because Jonathan Smith was the offensive coordinator at Washington before he got the Oregon State job. And the Beavs' defense over the years has been, at times, abysmal. It is the reason, the Oregon State defense is the reason they were not a nine-win team a year ago. They allowed too many points to Cal and Colorado. Neither was a prolific offense, and they ran wild and threw it all over the field against Oregon State. But they've got this new defense coordinator named Trent Bray, who was a promotion from within after being the linebackers coach. Yeah, that move is paying off big time. The results are there. The secondary is the best in the conference. I'm sorry, USC. Though they have a lot of players, the Trojans do, Oregon State's secondary has been the most consistent so far this year. They've got a couple more tests on the schedule. Washington can throw it around. Oregon has got some great weapons, and Bo Nix has been playing really well. But they shut down USC more than anybody else has this year, more than Utah did this year. And Oregon State's defense is really doing a nice job in a number of ways, and it's led by the back four guys on the end, or the back end four guys in the secondary. They are 
sensational. Jaden Grant is a dude. Rajon Wright is a baller. He's taken strides from what he was, which was a good player a year ago. He's now a really, really good corner. And I think you've got to shift your perception of Oregon State, especially with Chance Nolan continuing to be out. He's probably not going to come back until after the bye. Hopefully he'll be ready for the Washington game so the Beavs can be at full strength. But a team that has you know, scored a lot of points for the last few years, but hasn't been there defensively. They've now kind of done the opposite, right? Chance Nolan was struggling with interceptions and then he got hurt. Now they're making do with a backup quarterback. But how do you win if you're Oregon State with a backup quarterback? It's easy. Well, not easy, but for them it is because their defense has been playing so exceptionally well. And Goldbranson isn't doing anything fancy, but he isn't doing anything terrible either. And when you have a good defense and an offensive line that can run the football the way they did against Washington State a week ago, and I think made a good adjustment from the week prior against Stanford when they were a little too pass happy, you can win games. You can win games. And Oregon State is in a position to be 6-2 and this weekend. And so is Washington. They go on the road at Cal. Both of those teams should win. Oregon State, especially at home, I don't think there's any danger of an upset there. Cal only being a seven and a half point underdog is telling as to how the the odds makers feel about Washington at this point in time. I feel like that's kind of a Washington wins, but Cal covers sort of situation. The Bears will be playing with a little extra motivation after losing in Boulder a week ago, a game that they definitely should have won. But regardless, you could have two teams there that with the tiebreakers I've talked about coming into today potentially coming in as a major factor for who wins the championship in the Pac-12 this season. Where Washington and Oregon State finish as that team that's the next highest-seeded common opponent could definitely factor in. You also can't forget that although Washington has already played UCLA and they don't play Utah or USC, Washington does play Oregon and Oregon State plays Oregon. So though those two teams and Washington's defense got a lot of questions on the back end, they need to get healthy, but most importantly, they need to just, they just need to play better. They had to play against Arizona where three guys were standing within two yards of each other on the five yard line. The tight end ran open for a touchdown. Another guy was wide open. There are some communication issues on the back end of that defense, which happens when you're rotating guys in and out, but the Huskies have to clean that up if they're going to pull an upset of Oregon on the road at Autzen Stadium later in the year. But is it possible? Of course it is. Because Washington throws the ball well. And Oregon has struggled to defend the pass this year. And Oregon State is just a solid football team. They're scrappy. They fight. They claw. They can create turnovers. And those two teams, though it is very unlikely, not technically impossible, but with the way the other four teams are playing, seems out of the realm of realistic possibilities, but you never know. Chaos could always ensue. It's college football. It's why we play the games. It's why we watch the games because you never actually know what is going to happen. But those two teams, I would watch out for how they play, where they finish, and whether or not that comes into play in the tiebreakers and whether or not one of them could play good enough football and be rolling in a way that would allow them to potentially hand Oregon a second loss if the Ducks are able to beat UCLA and then able to beat Utah, could they stumble against either of those teams? Or could one of those teams be their second loss? That is a very realistic scenario because I think both are solid football teams. They're very different, 
They are very different. The Beavs have been carried by their defense to this point and are kind of waiting for the offense to reemerge, whereas Washington is the opposite. The offense is carrying them, and they're waiting for the defense to reemerge and, and catch up to where they have been. If you're looking to hire this year and you want to catch up and stay in the race, you got to go to LinkedIn Jobs because these days every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be certain that you have the access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. Go on there, post your job, add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring small businesses. Rate LinkedIn Jobs number one. That is numero uno for those of you Spanish speakers out there in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do indeed apply. So I, I think that Oregon State and Washington could be set up for a really excellent football game in a couple weeks they both take care of business this week they have a bye and we'd be continuing our trend of two teams coming off a bye and playing but that friday night in seattle i believe it's the first week in november if my math is correct and if memory serves which let's hope they both hold up in this instance they don't always i tell you what that could be a really really fun football game and it speaks to the magic of college football that it could be because is there a realistic scenario where either team gets to the Pac-12 championship game? Not really. Not with four teams squarely in contention who are all playing at a pretty high level in UCLA, Oregon, Utah, and USC. But things can change. Injuries could happen. You, ne- you never, ever know. But two teams that can't do that, that aren't getting to the college football playoff, that probably won't even get to a New Year's Six game this year, could still play a game that means a lot to both programs in the midst of rebuild is is selling them a little bit short because I think they're both further along than that, right? Oregon State, it feels like they're a couple players, maybe even just a quarterback away from fully arriving as a Pac-12 contender. They would be that this year, by the way, if they'd beaten USC. Does everybody realize that? Would they be the most impressive if they were in that category? Probably not because they scraped by Stanford. However, Every team has that game that they just have to get through, even the good ones. Utah just got through USC. Granted, it's a really good team, but you don't know what they're going to do in Washington State after their bye this week. Maybe they have to just find a way, escape, and win, and that's what good teams are able to do. And Oregon State got by Stanford, and if they'd beaten USC, they would be a one-loss team and able to get into the Pac-12 championship game right now. And they'd have a schedule that sets up for them to be able to do it. But that matchup with Washington, I really hope both teams are 6-2 and two going into it. Because if neither cracks the top 25, whoever wins that game certainly will. And that means a lot to both fan bases, I can assure you. Oregon State hasn't been there since 2013. I thought they had a chance after starting 3-0, and but the Mountain West teams didn't quite give them the RPI wins that, that the voters were clearly looking for. And then Washington was there, could easily be there if they hadn't stumbled against Arizona State. But if you beat Cal after beating Arizona and then you beat a good Oregon State team and you're sitting there at seven and two, it'll be hard for them to not get back into the top 25, which in year one of a rebuild is a great place to be if you're Washington. So I I think that looming game could be really, really fun. Also want to talk real quick about Washington State. 
they could go eight and four this season. My preseason prediction for them was seven and five. That looks like a pretty. I'd be willing to bet they uh, finish at seven and five. But could I see Washington State going eight and four? Yeah, I could. Because defense will keep you in games. And if the wash, if the offense can either or can can click at some point for Washington State, just at some point, and you don't have to be. UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Utah, USC, you know, scoring 35, 40 points a game. Their defense has been so good and should continue to be that, that they just need to score like 25 to 30 points. They don't need the 40s and 50s of the world. Sometimes it feels like Washington State only needs like 23, 25 points. But they haven't been able to run the football. And they haven't been able to consistently move the ball. They're too reliant on Cam Ward. However. After their bye this week, they have Utah. That's a tough game. You pull an upset, you do a lot for the locker room. But they'll be sitting at 4-4, four and four, and I still expect them to get over 500 because the schedule softens considerably. They could win their last four games. They probably won't because of the offensive struggles. But 7-5, first full year in Jake Dickert, not a bad place to be if you're the Cougars. It could certainly be a lot worse, especially when you throw in a road win against Wisconsin, a near upset of Oregon. You played USC respectably on the road, and then we'll see how they perform against Utah. I think that game in Pullman's fascinating, but that's for next week. Finally, we're closing day with a mailbag question. And if you ever want a question answered here on the show, you may do so. Any of you at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12. DMs, Twitter mentions, whatever. You can also hop in the YouTube comments. I monitor those closely to see what you guys are talking about, answer questions, interact with you all on there. As long as you're being respectful, I very much appreciate all of you who do that. And the overwhelming majority of you are. I'm not painting you with a negative brush at all whatsoever. But this question comes in from Mr. Eddie the Hog, who asks, Hey, Spencer, is there a path to USC and UCLA staying in the Pac-12? Like maybe George Klyovkov pulls a big Amazon digital deal that keeps things in place. The short answer here is there is not. There is not a darn thing, unfortunately, for our beloved commissioner, who was dealt a pretty bad hand when he took the job over. There is nothing he could do to keep UCLA and USC around. It's already been approved by the schools. It's already been approved by the Big Ten. That move is not going to to be reversed. He can't force them to. And because of the inherent value of the Big Ten media rights deal compared to what the Pac-12 would be able to get, even with USC and UCLA, it is not comparable, and it especially isn't without them, to what you'd be able to get in the Big Ten. Like, whatever number you could pay out per school on an annual basis even if they went to some new media rights partner like Apple TV or Amazon, I can't see it being even close to what the Big Ten is planning to pay out, which is in the many, many tens of millions more than what a Pac-12 deal is expected to be worth. That's what, uh, of course, is driving all of these conference realignment moves is schools want more money. Athletic departments want more money to work with. The only hope that Klyovkov has is if the UC Board of Regents somehow finagles their way, but talk has quieted down on that front considerably since it first came out that they were looking at it a couple months ago as to whether or not they would force UCLA to stay in the Pac-12 and say, no, you have 
a commitment to to Cal because remember Cal is UC Berkeley, and so I think that that is the only hope he has. But I tell you, it's a Jim Carrey. So you're saying there's a chance? Yeah, technically there is, but I wouldn't count on it. You know, Klyovkov is going to have to make the best uh, of the situation that that he's got, which is USA and UCLA are leaving. How do you keep the other teams around? How do you incorporate new teams that you know can bring in revenue or or intrigue to to the league? It's it's a really really tough thing to do, but there there's no meteorite steal he could possibly pull off just because of the the overall value of the Pac-12 schools. They're just not worth as much. There's not as many big markets and and the overall fan bases and attention you know, viewership that you can get, it's just not as valuable and it stinks, but that's the way it is. And he has to just, uh, you know, try and make lemonade out of lemons, but he, he may be pretty light on, on sugar, which if you've ever made lemonade on your own, you know, you need a lot of, to make it a viable beverage for everybody. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.